0: You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by today's message. If I heard Pastor Robin's message right from last week, he was talking about the lampstand, which is the, what the church is called to be. We're called to be the light of the world because we're living in a dark world. Emotionally, things are dark. Physically, things are dark. Mentally, things are dark. Relationally, things are dark right? Physically, when we're suffering illness, it can get pretty dark. You've all experienced it, right? You've all had these moments and you're like, I'm just in this dark moment in my life. And so the church is called to be the one to shine the lights, but we're not going to shine the lights until we understand the spiritual root, whether it be mentally, relationally, physically, emotionally, whatever it is across the board, there's a root because we're in a fallen world. And being in a fallen world, there's a spiritual core, a spiritual condition, and if we don't get to it, we can win a battle but lose a war. If we don't deal with the spiritual component of the things that are hurting us. And so that's why today's message is important. I'm calling it a lesson in storm survival. A lesson in storm survival, and I think that it's kind of perfect for this time of the year in SoFlo, right in South Florida, where we're talking about okay, we're expected to have an above-average hurricane season. I don't know if you've heard that, and if you haven't, well, thanks, Pastor John, for sharing that. All right, but well, we are expected to have a above-average um, storm season, and so what they'll tell you is you want to be prepared. You want to have your flashlights. You want to make sure they have batteries. You want to make sure that you have water. And you want to make sure you have canned goods. And you want to make sure you have gas. And you want to make sure you have a generator. You want to make sure you have your shutters ready uh, and ready to go. So today we're talking about storm survival, a storm uh, of a different kind. Um, So we're going to be primarily in Mark chapter 4. If you have a Bible, please turn to Mark 4. If you also want to find a place in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Colossians chapter 3, and maybe have a place marked 1 Kings 19. So these will be some of the places that we visit today, but we're going to read through our primary passage right now. Mark chapter 4, verse 35, and it reads, On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat. So that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. Tony Evans insists it was a my pillow. Uh, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey Him? Let's pray. God, thank you. You say peace, and it is so. You say, be still and know that I'm God. It's a great time for us to realize that we're not. We thank you for your presence. I thank you for the worship. I thank you, Father, that we've already heard a message in this place, even through the announcements, not just through the words that are said, but the heart and the Spirit presented with. We thank You, for now we get to feast on Your Word. Bless our time together. Meet us where we're at, as only You can. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Five dreaded words when you were in school. The teacher comes to the front of the class and says, There will be a test. Most of you did not go, yes. Most of you would have a range of responses from, okay, I think I've got this, to the other end of the spectrum, I'm a dead man, (laughs) right? So we've all been in that place where we've heard those words, there will be a test. And you would agree, life is full of them. Full of tests. From life's first cry till final breath from the book of Genesis through the book of Revelation in the Bible, um, there are tests. And we would agree that every single day that we are tested. From the moment you hear the alarm clock, it's a test. What are you going to do when you hear it? Are you going to get up? Or are you going to go back to bed? At home? With your spouse? With your children? Tests? Yes. In the workplace? Tests? In a church and as a church? Tests? Yes. What about I 95? All right, driving I 95. Has that ever been a test for some of you? Tested your patience, all right? So from the beginning, there were tests. Adam and Eve were faced with a test. We are faced with tests all the time. And the tests are important because you're presented with information, and what you do at test time reveals what you know and what you believe. Many of the tests reveal something about our spiritual condition. This makes sense, right? Because we are created, there's a trinity that makes up you that is of spirit, soul, and body. Don't take my word for it because I'm teaching today. Look to the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, I believe we'll bring it up on the screen. But if we don't, listen, I'll read it for you. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says this, Now may the God of peace himself... Sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your whole spirit, your soul, and your body. Let's break them down so we understand. The body, well, that's your body. That's your flesh. That's your skin, your bones. It's your heart. It's your organs, your brain. Yes, your brain is an organ. All right, so this is your body, but then there's your soul. And that's your emotion, your will, your desires. It's kind of like your personality. It's kind of like what makes you you. And then there's your spirit. Your spirit, well, that's your connection with God. It determines how you see the world and what you do about it. So there's the spirit, the soul, and the body. Created to operate as one, but we are living, and you know this, in a fallen world. But the spiritual component and the way they work together, maybe I could explain it like this. We're trying to make room in our garage, so we're cleaning out our garage right now. And as I'm going through things in the garage, I come across a picture of mom, one that I had not seen in years. My body sees this. My eyes see it. I miss her. Stir something in my soul. The tears are coming because my my soul is stirred. But I know she's out of pain, and I know she's with Jesus, that's my spirit kicking in. And that kind of determines my response, how I see it. Love you, Mom. Miss you, Mom. I'll see you soon. Spirit, soul, and body, and the three are one. And so, often when we get tested, there's something happening in this world that is testing, and that what it's doing is it's revealing something about our spiritual condition. It's revealing something about what we believe. The Bible promises that we're going to have a life that's full of tests and trials. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Is this something strange or happening to you? Let me ask you, did Peter know what it was like to be tested? 1 Peter 1.6 and 7 says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you've had to suffer grief through various trials. These have come so that your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes, though refined by fire, may prove to be genuine and result in the praise, honor, and glory in the day of Jesus Christ. James 1 says it like this, Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. And if that's not good enough for us, Jesus said it himself, John 16.33, In this world, you will have much tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. In the Bible, not only do we have the promise of tests, we have the examples. Abraham tested, David tested, Esther tested, Daniel tested. I could go through a list of names, but then I would just ask you one question, and that is: can you think of a character in the Bible did not face a test? That did not face a test. So testing is a reality. In life, there's going to be a test. They're inevitable. They are allowed by God. They're ordained by God. And if you would receive it, the test is the opportunity. And here we reframe it. The test is the opportunity, sometimes our greatest opportunities to grow in our dependence on God to develop the character of His Son in ourself, and to demonstrate who He is in the world. Why are we faced with these tests? So that we can grow. Most of you in this room, if you've grown in your faith, you said, you know what? The greatest times of growth have been during the greatest tests that we faced. And we're still here. And we're still standing. And that's why we say, by the grace of God, there go I. So these tests are always an opportunity for either positive formation or negative deformation, right? So as we say this in a fallen world, in a fallen world, sometimes we're facing tests because of decisions we've made. Sometimes we are facing tests because of the fallen condition of the planet. Sometimes because of abuse that happened to us, an accident that we've been in. So whether it's an accident that we have endured, abuse we've endured, or choices we've made, whatever it is, we are in a fallen world and there will always, 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 be a spiritual consideration and a spiritual condition that we need to consider through these tests. That's why this message is important, a lesson in storm survival. And so, before we get into Mark 4, I just want to give you a little bit of background. Through Mark 4, Jesus is teaching them in parables, and by this time, He's only teaching parables at this moment in Mark 4. And he's teaching these parables and parables, as you know, they're an earthly story with a heavenly significance. That's the easiest way that I've thought of to break them down. An earthly story with a heavenly significance. And he's teaching them about the importance of receiving the Word and believing the Word through stories, through parables. So he tells them a story of a man sowing seeds. Then he tells them a story of a lamp under a basket. Then He talks to them about growing seeds and mustard seeds all through Mark 4. And this is all about receiving and believing the Word. Now, He's been teaching them. Now it's time for a test. But how's He going to test what they've heard? Now let's start digging into our passage a little bit more. Mark 4, verse 35. On that day... When evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took Him with them in the boat, just as He was, and the other boats were with Him. Stop right there. Here's what Jesus just did. Take a look at verse 35. He said, Let us go across to the other side. He just gave them what? A word. He didn't say, I'm thinking about going to the other side. He didn't say, I hope we get to the other side. He didn't say, we're going to possibly go to the other side, but who knows what's going to happen in between. Jesus said, let's go across to the other side. He has no intentions of not getting to the other side. So, this is the word that they're given. And that's what's important right now. So, now how will they respond to the word that they're given? And this is where. The bulk of our lesson comes in today because we're going to see what the way that they're tested. Where it says here in verse 37, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. Stop right there. This is the first thing that I want you to see today, and that is the external circumstance is going to be what tests their resolve. We're going to find out what they believe because what you do tells the world what you believe, right? And so here comes the storm. And the storm in this case, well, how bad of a storm is it? Let's just put it this way. It's the kind of storm that can scare a fisherman. All right. When Tiffany and I had our first child 17 years ago, Alright, whenever Hannah would have an accident, whenever she would fall or whenever she would cut herself or hurt herself, I'm sitting there and I am freaking out. My name, my last name is Panico and I'm doing exactly that. I am panicking, alright? And so I'm sitting there panicking and Tiffany's just looking at me like, she's she's always as cool as a cucumber. She's, like, no, no. she's an ER nurse. What hasn't she seen? Now when the kids hurt themselves and I see her begin to panic, now I've learned, That's when to hit the panic button. When I see her start to panic. What kind of a storm is this? It's the kind of storm that can scare a fisherman. That's a heck of a storm. Now, most of you in this room, in a lot of ways, you can't relate. Most of us in this room, not everybody, maybe some of you have, but most of us in this room have not been on a boat with that kind of experience during one of these kind of storms, all right? But here the disciples are during this storm, and where did they start to get afraid? All right, so first they're out in the water and maybe they see the clouds. Oh, we've done this before. No big deal. Maybe they hear a little thunder, see a little lightning. All right, well, it's looking a little bit worse, but you know, we've ridden out storms before. Now the waves are starting. Now the rains are coming. And now the boat is starting to, the resolve of the boat is starting to give in. When is it that the disciples take the focus off of Jesus and put the focus on the storm? Where we teach, we like to call this the teeter totter. All right? The teeter totter. And this is when your emotions and the crisis go up, your decision making capabilities go down. Would you agree? You would only agree if you've said, you know what, at this time when I was emotional, I made a bad decision. How many of us made really good, good decisions when we were feeling emotional, right? (laughs) Most of us not. Okay, so when we were feeling emotional, what happened was it's like we started, uh, we took our focus off the wrong place. That's what we like to call the teeter-totter. Because there comes a threshold, and maybe that threshold for the disciples would have been different for me. I would have started freaking out the moment we got on the boat. I don't do boats. Not at all. But for the disciples, it had to be an incredible storm. And again, you would say, well, I haven't been out on a storm like this. How does this passage relate to me? Well, maybe you're going to a family gathering. all right? And you went to the family gathering and you're like, you know what, I kind of feel like I'm walking into a storm now. Walking into something that is unsettled in the workplace walking into school when something is happening that is just out of the norm, okay? So we're going into storms. Storms in the church? Yeah. Okay, yeah, we'll go there. But you've all faced storms. See, this is a physical storm, but I'm going to also say that when we look at the physical storm, a lot of the times we know storms to be metaphorical. That's why on Christian radio, if you ever listen to Way FM, every every other song is about a storm. Right? Every other storm, every other song is about a storm. Maybe your storm is a doctor's diagnosis. Maybe it is a financial crisis. Maybe it's an email from the principal. What is your storm? It's been well said about storms, and I know it's cliche, but you've heard it before. You're either in one, coming out of one, or you're headed into one. All right And so it's important for us to know that maybe some of the things that would shake me might not shake you. And maybe some of the things that would shake you might not shake me. All right? And so at what point here we are, when the storm is coming, do we start to say, "You know what? My focus is coming off of Jesus?" So there's the external circumstance, the external circumstance. Well, that's, that's what we're going to call our storm. But the external circumstance will always reveal something about our internal state. Let's read in our passage. We'll start at verse 37. We'll go back a second. And a great windstorm arose, the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion." And they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do not miss this. What is driving their decision making right now? Fear. Fear is driving their decision making right now. Somebody once said, what you fear owns you. it was a while back, I was teaching the church, and I was teaching a Zoom meeting from a room, and as I'm teaching this Zoom meeting, I'm teaching on the importance of overcoming your fear. How perfect love casts out fear. And as I'm teaching this, one of the guys on the line says, Pastor John, you might want to look in back of you. I didn't have to, because I was looking at myself through the Zoom screen, and there was a tree frog crawling up the back of the wall. I am scared to death of tree frogs. I do not like frogs, all right? At 11 years old, I got my first BB gun, I shot a frog that was on our porch and I thought I killed it, right? And so, the frog, my mom swept it away, I cried for three days. Three days later, and this story is verifiable by my dad, Three days later, that frog was right back where it was on the porch with the BB right in the middle of its head. I am scared to death of frogs. So at this point, my son is 10 years old, and uh, he said, Dad, I heard your message tonight. I said, yeah. He said, yeah, what, what you fear owns you, right? Yeah. He goes. Then I guess frogs own you. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever, kid. All right, but he was listening. That's the good news, right? All right, but what what is being revealed about the disciples right now? All right, the situation, the external circumstances, the storm—it's revealing the internal state. Like a tube of toothpaste, when you to see what's inside of it, you squeeze it, right? And what's happening right now is the disciples are kind of getting squeezed, and what's driving their decision making is their fear. We need to know, right? Because the external circumstance will always reveal something that's on the inside. In this case, if we look to see what's being revealed for them, it's the emo- they're, they're feeling fear. They're afraid. Because the storm has become bigger than the one that was in the boat with them. Now, it's important that we understand this, is that there are three things that when we're facing a storm that we need to be aware of, but never ruled by. There are three things. And, number 1, is our emotions. You want to be aware of your emotions, not ruled by them. You want to be aware of the crisis. This is number 2. You want to be aware of the crisis, but you don't want to be led by the crisis. You want to be aware of your past experience. That's number 3, but you don't want to be led by your past experience. So we want to be aware of — When the storm comes — we want to be aware of our emotions, We want to be aware of the crisis, and we want to be aware of our past circumstances. They all need a place in the car, it just can't be the driver's seat. We need to be aware of them and not led by them. Because what you'll find is this, is that sometimes when the storm comes, the external circumstance, be it financial, physical, relational, whatever it is, whatever the storm that's come in your life, well, sometimes there will be shame. And that's guiding our decision making. Sometimes it will be guilt. Sometimes it will be anger. Sometimes it will be bitterness. And we need to be aware of these things. Kind of like your check engine light in a car. All right? We need to be aware of these check engine lights. We also need to realize that one of the reasons people don't grow and move forward. is because they're trying to find relief from whatever it is they're struggling with, rather than the relationship with God. In other words, if we just look at the external circumstance, the storm, and how it reveals the internal state, if we just say, you know what, I want the fear to go away. I want the anger to go away. I want relief. Maybe I want relief from the consequences of a choice I've made, or I just want relief from the things that I'm feeling inside during this storm that's here. I want relief from it. The disciples are saying, you know what? This is bad. And they go to wake Jesus up and they wake Him up and they're in a panic because they're afraid. What is the Bible's solution for fear, not the opposite of fear. We know that the opposite of fear, the opposite of fear is faith. But what is the Bible's solution for fear? According to 1 John 4.18, it's perfect love because perfect love casts out fear. Right? Here's how it works: you've got a child and they're afraid of the dark. Now, child, when they're afraid of the dark, they wake up, everything is dark, and they start screaming and they start crying. Now dad walks in the room. Now they stop crying. Why? Because they know Daddy loves them. They know Daddy loves them. What you love drives your decision making. Here it says that what they end up doing is they wake Jesus up, Teacher do you not care that we are perishing? This is where the rubber hits the road because if we don't get to this point in the passage then again maybe we can take the fear away for a moment maybe we can give a pacifier but we will never get to the core of what's really wrong. What's really wrong is revealed right here. The real struggle is revealed right here. The external circumstance is the storm. The internal state is the fear. What it reveals about their spiritual condition, they articulate it. It's right here. The spiritual condition. The real problem is this. You don't care. You don't care that we're going to die here. Wake up, please. See, waking Him up was not the problem. That wasn't the problem. It was just waking Jesus up. Of course you would wake Him up. But the spirit, the fear, wake up, you don't care. And some of you have been there. Has anybody in this room... Been to a point in your life where you've said, "You know what, Are you there?" David was a man after God's own heart, and he said, "You know what's going on? Have you forgotten me?" The spiritual condition: don't you care that I am fill in the blank? Don't you care that I'm lonely? Don't you care that I'm heartbroken? Don't you care that I'm disappointed? God, don't you care that I'm discouraged? If we don't get to the spiritual condition, then we're just looking to help get relief. Right? Somebody walks in the doors of the church and they have made some bad choices with spending. And so, I need help, I need help, I need help. Okay, yes, you need help. I get it. And they want relief, because the walls are closing in on them. But sometimes they want relief without saying, okay, could we take a look at some biblical principles on stewardship? Could we take a look at that? Could we sit down and take a look to see what the Word of God says so that we can get to the spiritual core and the spiritual condition of the real problem? Somebody is continually being hurt by relationships. And they keep engaging in relationships that are harmful and devastating. And a lot of the storms that they're in, well, because of some of the choices that we've made, can we look to see what the Word of God says about healthy relationships and how we should look into them and how we should, uh, what we should know because you want the pain to stop we want the fear to go away we want the relief but we won't get to the relief unless we get to the spiritual core what is the storm revealing about my struggle and my wrestling match that I'm having with God in this case for the disciples they say don't you care that we're perishing we're going to die here and you're nowhere to be found We have to get to the um, spiritual condition. You can stop somebody that has been drinking, you can get them sober. Sometimes you can get them sober for three months, six months, a year, five years. But if you don't get to the core of what's hurting them and why they keep going out, if you don't get to the core of that, they're going to go right back out. So the spiritual condition is revealed here. Do you not care that we are perishing? The external circumstances, revealing the internal state, which reveals the spiritual condition, we can pretty much take almost any Bible character through this exercise. And you can take yourself through it. You can take a look at some of the situations that you've been through and said, okay, this was the storm that I was going through. This is how I reacted. This is what it revealed about something that I was really kind of struggling with with God. So what I want to do right now, real quick, is I would like to ask you to keep your place in Mark. Head over just for a moment to the book of First Kings. And in 1 Kings, here's what we have. In the chapter before this, 1 Kings 18, Elijah has challenged the prophets of Baal to a showdown at Mount Carmel, And he said, here's what we're going to do. Let's get all of Israel. We're going to have a showdown because you guys have been going back and forth between ideas and religions. You've been doing this too long. There's going to be a showdown now. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to invite the children of Israel and the prophets of Baal are going to make an offering to their God and I'm going to make an offering to my God, and whichever offering is accepted by the God, that is the God that wins. Those are the ones that win. Well, if you know the passage in 1 Kings 18, you know that there's no doubt who wins this. All right? Elijah wins. God shows up in an incredible way, and he tells Ahab now that we've been in a drought for three and a half years. Now get ready for it because it's going to rain. Get an umbrella. And so now... Here you have Elijah, this mighty man of God. He's defeated all these prophets. God has given him an incredible victory. He's prayed and rain is coming. And you would think that this guy would be on top of the world. This is spiritual victory. But now he faces a storm. It's 1 Kings 19. After Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, the prophets, the storm, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. That's all Elijah had to hear. Watch this. Because this is where it unravels. This is where the storm comes. And what you will see is the internal state And you'll see how it reveals the spiritual condition. Just watch this unravel right now. After Jezebel says this, verse 3 says, Then Elijah was afraid. He arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord." Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. What kind of a storm was this to make a man of God like this crumble? God, I'm done. I give up. White fly, just let me die. Let it go. And you would think that maybe God would say, Man up, guy. After all I just showed you, you need to be a little stronger than this, but I want you to watch instead. Here's what God does during His storm. It says, He lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched Him and said to Him, Arise and eat. And He looked, and behold, there was at His head a cake cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water, and He ate and drank and lay down again. You're laying down again? Verse 7, And the angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him, and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Here he is during the storm. Where's God? He's right there. He's right there. But he's gonna, you're going to hear his struggle with God now. Verse 9 says, Then he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah said, Oh, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Do you see what he's struggling with with God right now? God, you've abandoned me. You've left me alone to do this job, and it's just too much, and I I can't do it. This is the storm that Elijah's in. God's response, And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountains in broken pieces, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, He wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice. What are you doing here? And the conversation repeats. The external circumstance revealing the internal state, revealing the spiritual condition. Elijah's spiritual condition. I'm kind of done with this job, God. I'm over it. Let's go back to our storm. Mark 4. This time, verse 39. And Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that the wind and the sea obey Him? I want you to notice what happens here. Jesus first wakes up, deals with the storm. Three words He speaks. Peace, be still. And the storm is done. So the disciples are afraid. They think that God has left them. But now what they see is this. Jesus stands up and He says, Peace, be still. And the peace returns. Colossians 3.15 reads like this. It says, Let the peace of God rule in your heart. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. So when we're not at peace, when something is happening in our life, when the storm is coming in our life and we're not at peace, what we need to do is we need to ask God to reveal what it is that is ruling our heart. And we need to take that thing off of the throne of our heart and put him back where he belongs. Because it says, Let the peace of God rule in your heart to which you were also called in one body and be thankful. So what we see here is when Jesus stands up, what happens? is that the storm, at one point, was, was greater than their belief in Jesus. But now, when Jesus stands up and He says, Peace be still, what has happened is, is that now they're saying, Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey Him? What has happened is now the fear of the Lord has returned. The Bible says, Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so when Jesus stands up and he says, Peace be still, now the disciples, instead of looking at the storm, they're looking at Jesus. Their eyes are in the right place again saying, Who is this guy? That he can calm a storm like this. Who is this that even the wind and waters obey Him? When we lose that awe of who God is because of what somebody says or what somebody does or because of what's happening on the outside, when we lose that, then what God is calling us to do, it's like an invitation. Because if you'll receive it, the storm is an invitation to put our eyes back on Jesus. I remember years ago at a pastor's conference, I believe it was a pastor named Don McClure that was talking about his experience with his church. And I wasn't going to go here today, but as I'm reading this, I can't not go here. Don McClure was talking and he said, you know what, I got to a point in ministry where I was so discouraged because we would grow, then we would shrink. We would grow, then we would shrink. Then all of a sudden, the bank account was down to nothing. And I went to God and I said, my bank account is down to nothing again. He said, I'm down to nothing. And God said, no, you're back down to me. And I am what you need. Am I enough or am I not enough? In church, we'll sit here and we'll sing, Christ is enough for me. We will cry, we will raise our hands and we will say, Christ is enough for me. But how many of us, pastors included, have those moments in our life where something happens and we're saying, yeah, you're enough, but... He needs to be but God. So when we get to that point, I just wanted to give you a couple of simple things that we can do. When we're facing the storm, just a few things we we have to do, a few things that we need to do. When the storm is upon us, the first thing that we have to do is we have to remember who God is. These are really simple. We just have to remember who God is. He created all things from nothing. He loved you enough to send His Son. So the Father loved you enough to send His Son to die for you. The Son loved you enough to go to a cross for you. And the Holy Spirit is in you. Speaking to you, desiring to encourage you and bring you along and encourage your hearts. We first need to remember who God is. We need to remember what God has done. And the best way to do this is to be meditating on the Word of God. You can read three chapters, five chapters, ten chapters of your Bible a day, but the Bible tells us that this is something that we need to meditate on. Don Whitney, in his book, Praying the Bible, says it like this, All right, if we really want to connect with God, you know, when you read the Word of God, it's like looking at a good meal. He goes, and when you meditate on the Word of God, he goes, it's like putting the food in your mouth. He says, but when you read it, you meditate on it, and then you do what it says. He goes, that's getting the benefit of the whole meal. The benefit of the whole meal. So the first thing we want to do is we want to remember who God is. We also want to remember what He's done. What does it do to us when we take a look at a passage like this, and we're going through a storm, and now something that happened 2,000 years ago, God is saying, you're in a storm today, and I'm speaking to you. I'm speaking to you for whatever storm it is that you're going through in your life right now. I want you to see this and I want you to remember that I can calm storms. I specialize in it. But the calm in your storm is not found through an outcome. The calm in your storm is found through a person. And when we get to that, there's the peace. There's the joy, right? The Bible says in His presence there is the fullness of joy says he can give a peace that surpasses understanding. It says God is love. So whatever this world can disappoint you with, C.S. Lewis said it like this, if you find yourself with a, with a longing in your heart that this world cannot satisfy, chances are you've been created for another world. And God's saying, listen, I want to be your all in all. I want to be your everything. I want to indwell you. So we want you to remember who God is. We want you to remember what God has done. But here's something else you can remember. Remember what God has done in your life. Remember what He's done in your life. Remember all of the storms that you have been delivered from, from there to here. Go back and recount them. How many of you have had moments in your life where you are rehearsing what could go wrong in your situation? Or we're sitting there just meditating on what could go wrong or what did go wrong. And we just sit there and we let our mind run wild. Why don't we let our mind run wild intentionally on the blessings that we've received and put God back in perspective and just sit there and allot some time through the course of your day. You know what? I'm just going to 8 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 4 o'clock. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to spend some time. I'm going to allot 5 minutes, 10 minutes to just think about something God did in my life and just say yes and drill into it. Drill into it. Be intentional. The, en- the enemy's intentional about taking your peace, is he not? How many of you in this room has the enemy just tried to... He steals, he kills, he destroys, he takes your peace. Why can't we be intentional and we need to be intentional? We need to be intentional about taking a look at these moments, these times when you felt so close to God and just thinking about who was there. Was there music playing? What was happening in this moment? And just start thinking about it and dreaming about it and thanking God for it and resolving yourself to an attitude of gratitude for the things that He has brought you through. These are ways that God can empower you through the storm. Remembering who He is, remembering what He's done, and then getting personal what He's done for you. I want to leave you with four questions that you can ask during your storm. Four questions. Number one, is God aware of it? First question, simple one, right? Is God aware of your storm? Number two, is God still in control? Number three, does God work all things together for good to those who love Him? And number four is a simple one. Do I love Him? And if you can answer yes to all four of these questions, then you know that in the end, everything is going to be okay. So as a friend of Pastor Daniel's, Ben Corson, says, right now, if things are are not okay, then right now it's not the end. Because in the end, it will all be okay. Is God aware of it? Is God in control of it? Does God work all things together for good to those who love Him? And do I love Him? But even when you're in the storm, sometimes that's going to be shaken. Almost two years ago, as I was leaving Honey Lake Clinic, it was 5 o'clock on a Saturday. Um, I got a call. Um, My wife's cousin had COVID. He was in his 40s. He had a special needs child um, that was about as developmentally delayed as my daughter is. And, um, And we knew he had COVID. But she called me in shock when Tiffany says, call me, please and her cousin had just died. And I didn't know the family very well, but God had impressed it upon my heart to fly down there and if the family would receive it and to do the funeral. So we book a flight for Texas three weeks after that at 9 a.m., down in Fort Lauderdale, we live in Palm Beach County, and so I leave nice and early. I leave at about seven o'clock, and we get to the airport by seven forty-five. Don't ask me how fast I was driving; I won't tell you. But it was faster than <laughs> it was faster <laughs> than the seventy-five. Um, we get down there um, by about seven forty-five, and there's no parking at the airport. So they tell us about five miles away, and they give us directions. They're like, you have to drive here, then they're going to shuttle you there. So we get to the place where they're going to be shuttling us, and now it's me and my son. My son and I, sorry. All right, it's my son and I, and um, he's about ten and a half at the time. And as we get there, it's about 8.15, and it's about, it had to be about 95 degrees out and there's no shuttle bus yet. Flight's supposed to leave at 9. It's 8.15. No shuttle bus. 8.30. No shuttle bus. Now I'm starting to unravel. All right. My son's watching this and I'm sitting there and I'm starting to fall apart. I'm sweating blood. I'm like, we have to get there and I'm starting to lose my patience with people. Son's watching all of it. All right. 8.35. No shuttle bus, I'm about to burst at the seams. Finally, at 8.37, a shuttle bus comes. For a 9 o'clock flight, there's no way we're gonna make this. There's absolutely no chance. Shuttle bus comes, it's air conditioned, I get a chance to catch my breath, and I'm looking at my son and, and, and I can just see that he's really concerned and he's nervous. And I took a deep breath and I started saying, okay, John, What would you tell people? Is God aware of it? Yeah. Is He in control of it? Yes. Does God still work all things together for good to those that love Him? God, You know I believe it. If you don't get there, John, am I still in control? Am I still good? Will things still work out? Yeah, God. But I really want to get there, if it's at all possible. But I'm walking you through this just to show that, you know, sometimes you're not going to automatically just have the peace of God that surpasses with understanding. Sometimes it's going to take a second. But as long as the storm brings you back to Him, happy ending to the story as happy as it can be we got there uh, we got on the flight the flight left at about 9-10 we were able to get there and uh, do the funeral and yes it was heartbreaking and yes God was glorified what was more important to me though was that my son got to see not only dad lose it but dad be able to put his focus back on the Lord during the storm. So I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what storm you're going through. I know what storm the church is going through. Um, but I don't know what storm you're going through personally. God is aware of it. He's in control of it. He works all things together for good to those that love Him. We come today. In a moment, I'm going to invite Pastor Robin up um, for communion. but on the night that He was going to be betrayed, abandoned, denied, here's what Jesus does. He gives the disciples something to remember Him by because He knows that there are going to be moments in our life of struggle. He knows there are going to be storms coming. He knows exactly what those storms are. He's known them from before the foundations of the world. And on this particular night, what He's going to do is He's going to give them something to remember him by. Why? Because you need to know that during the storm, whatever you know, whatever you have learned about me, know this most importantly, know how much I love you. And every time you take that bread and every time you drink that cup, let it be a reminder because your healing in this life comes when you are able to accept and receive and embrace and celebrate the love of God. Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Williams at Redemption Church in Delaware Beach. Thank you so much for listening to that message. We pray it was an encouragement, it was a blessing to you as we love to pursue and to proclaim Jesus together. And so no matter where you're listening, whether it be YouTube or our podcast, you can go to more resources at redemptiondb.com and even partner with us in ministry to pursue and to proclaim Jesus. God bless you and thank you so much for listening.